0: Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you that you've chosen to live within us. Emmanuel, God with us. We thank you that you're not hiding. We thank you that we don't have to search because you're here. Help us to actually focus And spend time focused on all that you've provided. And help us to be faithful so that everything you've given in our life increases and multiplies. Father, I pray that you would reveal your son and your will for every life in this room. God, I pray that you would speak directly to every heart, every mind, every circumstance. And I thank you that by your Holy Spirit, you are able to administer the kingdom of God and you are able to touch every life in this room in Jesus name. Amen. So I would like to start by saying what I believe about you because sometimes it's it's important to actually verbalize things that we actually think, especially if they're positive things. I believe that every person in this room is here because you want to know Jesus. I believe that not only do you wanna know Jesus, but you wanna know what is the specific thing that Jesus wants me to actually do. Not only who am I gonna become, right? But what actually am I gonna do as I'm becoming who he's called me to be? So from the place of becoming, we wanna actually understand what it is, the specific expression, the unique expression that God has created for you to do and be. Because there are people in life that I will never, ever talk to. Ali will never talk to. And if you don't talk to them, no one's going to talk to them. There are people in your job, in your school, your relatives, family members that some of us may never come into contact with. So it's so crucial for you to step into who God has made you and to identify with what he's asking you to say and what he's asking you to do for the sake of those people that he bled and he paid an incredible, incredible price for. Are you following me? The deepest cry in every human being, there, there is this cry within every human being on the planet, whether they're saved or whether they're lost, and the deepest cry is to know who God is and to know why he created them and what he has for them. I can tell you why I know this to be true, because Paul the Apostle is on the road to Damascus getting ready to kill Christians. He already... People had already died at his hands. He's, he's a human trafficker. He's trafficking humans from place to place. He's having women and children thrown in prison. He's, he's killing people. They're dying at his word. So he's set on killing innocent people. And as he goes to kill innocent people, he encounters the Lord. And the Lord knocks him off his horse. Right? Are you guys with me? The, the light of. And the brightness of Jesus' face shuts down his retinas for three days. Right? As soon as he sees the Lord, he says, who are you? And what would you have me to do? So when our spirit and when our eyes and our soul begin to behold the Lord, begin to behold the beauty of the Lord and, and begin to behold all that Jesus is, what happens, that cry immediately and naturally comes out. Like it's not something that we have to try to make happen or it's not something that we produce. It's something that is a result of seeing who he is. It's normal and natural for every human when they begin to look at Jesus and begin to see him to actually respond like, who are you and what do you want from me? And it's so interesting that this is the same man that is on his way to kill people Who worshiped this man. And immediately. Jesus didn't argue with him about the law. Jesus didn't do signs and wonders. Jesus didn't do anything. Jesus in all of his glory. Showed up. And when he showed up. Paul immediately called him Lord. Identifying that he is supreme. He is above all. There is no one above him. Right. And said. Who are you and what do you have me to do? And so I believe that as you stand in the presence of the Lord tonight and as we pursue the throne of God and as you worship and as you bear your heart to the Lord and as you say, you know, we come in the presence of God and we make promises to God. We say, you know, I'll go anywhere. I'll do anything. You know, we feel this this, you know, we feel the kingdom of God in the atmosphere. We feel the presence of God, the love of God. We're with the people of God. And so we begin to say crazy things like, Lord, I'll I'll go anywhere for you, Lord, I'll. I'll do anything, and what, what, what that is is that our, res, our soul responding to the greatness of who Jesus really is. So that's only natural, it's normal, it's not that something is wrong with us, it's actually something is right with him, and what, what, what the cry of our heart becomes in that, in that moment, even in our weakness, becomes God, like, oh man, you're, you're like so amazing, anything you want, anywhere, anything... And that's what happens like when we see him and we start to see him. And so what I believe is that your your soul and, and your spirit has been encountering the presence of the Lord. You've been coming here on Mondays. You may go to church on Sunday. You may wherever you go, but you're in your own pursuits at home. You may be pursuing God, spending time with the door shut in the secret place and just pursuing God and, and pursuing his word and pursuing the presence of God. And as you do that, you're positioning yourself to receive from him the directives and, and basically his will for your life. I think it was a guy named Dominic Russo who wrote on Facebook one time that as you spend time in the presence of God, God's dream for your life grows. And uh, that's it. Like when you spend time in the presence of God, what he thinks about you and what he dreams for you begins to become apparent in your in your soul by revelation of the Holy Spirit. So God begins to bring things up in your consciousness. He begins to change the desires of your heart. All of a sudden, you start to love people that you never cared about. All of a sudden, a nation starts to burn in your heart. All of a sudden, you're on the floor weeping for people you've never seen before, and you have no natural affection or relation with. And and God is then, he's breaking up the fallow ground in our hearts, and he's positioning us so that when he tells us to do something, we're actually ready to obey him. Right. Not just with our lips, but with our lives, with our whole entire being, with everything that we are, with everything that we're not. But we're positioning our hearts to then respond to him. And so that's what happens in the presence of God. Now, you know, some people, you know, get up and they preach and they say, I have no agenda. You know, I just I love you and I'm here to love Jesus. I'm just going to tell you, I do have an agenda. And my agenda is I have a goal for your life. This is my goal for your life and this is my goal for my life. When we're old. And when we have gray hair or no hair, I would like all of us in this room to be able to say, I have finished the work which you've given me to do. How many of you want to be old and full of years with grandchildren or great-grandchildren? You want to sit there with a cup of coffee or tea, however you roll, in a rocking chair, and you want to look at the next generations and all of the things that God did, and you could look yourself in the mirror, and you can look Jesus with blazing eyes, and you can look him in the face and say, I have finished the work that you sent me to do. That's what, that's what I want. To me, like if you want to define success, that's success. We own the word success. Success was God's idea to Joshua. It was not Fortune Magazine. It was not, success was God's idea. He said, if you obey me, if you meditate on my word, wherever you go, you'll have good success. So that's not a four-letter word if we define it correctly. Paul the Apostle, he said, I have fought a good fight. I have finished my course. I have kept the faith. Jesus is fully God and fully man. So for Jesus to say this, all right. That's Jesus. But what about Paul? He's just a human, totally human, not fully God. (laughs) He is a human being who walked with God, who paid a terrible price to follow Jesus. He wrote two-thirds of the New Testament, and he confidently came to the end of his life and said, I have fought a good fight. I have finished my course. I have kept the faith. How many of you, as, as human beings with real weakness, Real problems, you know, Paul had had two problems in his ministry. I don't know if you know this, but Paul had a leadership crisis. He said to Timothy that I don't have anyone who's like minded except you. He had a leadership crisis in his ministry and he also had a financial crisis in his ministry because when he was in prison, only the Philippians stood with him financially. How many of you have had a financial problem in your life? How many of you have lacked direction in your life? Hello, all of us, right? Paul is a real person who had real problems. He had a leadership issue and a financial issue in his life. Yet in all of the struggles and all of his weakness and with the past that he had of killing innocent people, God changed him, transformed him. And at the end of his life, he could say that I have finished the course confidently. Right. That's not I'm not talking about just saying it, but I'm talking about it's in the word of God. It's true. This isn't a a bogus, you know, claim that Paul made. This is infallible and forever. God included this in his word to show us that not only Jesus, who is fully God and fully man, but Paul, who is fully man, (laughs) finished the course and could confidently say at the end of his life that he did what he was sent to do and he finished. I'm just telling you, like, that's in my heart for you, that you and I, that us, that we as a people would be able to say, We finished our course. Some of us are just starting, um, but it doesn't matter where you are on your course. What matters is that you finished your course. And so I don't know if you've been watching the news lately. I'm not going to get controversial, but if you watch the news, the Christian news, in the last week, things are going haywire. Pastor of a humongous church resigned. I have no idea why. It's very sad. Uh, The others, other people are they're talking around the, the the gay issue and, you know, what does the word of God say? The word of God is clear. It's sin, just like adultery is sin. I mean, right? So, but we have, I'm being honest now. Things are going haywire. People are going haywire. And so I felt as if it was necessary to speak about faithfulness. To speak about faithfulness. And, and, and then after that, we're going to go just back into a time of worship. But I would like to... Talk to you today, just tonight, just briefly about pure intimacy. In John 17, we see the, the one of, in my opinion, the most profound realities in all of the Bible. In, in the Bible, God is talking to man, right? You have man talking to man. You have man talking to God. You have angels talking to man. But out of everything in the Bible, to me, the most fascinating part of the Bible is when God talks to God. That to me is really fascinating. Have you ever been in the room with people that if you're in their presence, you should probably be quiet and they should probably be talking? (laughs) Last week, I was in a room with two guys and it was my job to shut up and listen. And so I sat there and like, you know what? I felt privileged to be in the room with these guys. And I understood it was my time to now be quiet and listen to them. When God is talking to himself, it's 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 really important that we catch what he's saying. And it's his grace and his mercy that he lets us in on the conversation. I'll give you a few quick examples. Genesis, let us make man in what? Our image, right? Genesis, again, they build a tower. What does God say? Let us go down and break up their their you know, their monopoly here on this tower. You following me? Isaiah 6, who will go for us? Yes? Are you with me? Matthew 3, this is my beloved son in whom I'm well pleased. Heaven opens, the Holy Spirit comes on Jesus. It's a family reunion. God is, but he, God is talking to himself, right? You with me? John, religious people think it's a thunder, some people think it's an angel, some people think it's thunder, they were both wrong, it was the father speaking to Jesus. Again, God is talking to God, right? John 17, however, is the most is the longest dialogue between God and himself in the whole Bible. And it and it takes place at this critical time in human history. In fact, I would say that this is probably the most one of the most critical uh Times that has ever passed in human history because Jesus is getting ready to offer himself up for the sins of the world. And so the weight of the world is literally upon him and all of this pressure is starting to come upon him and these great and and and, and sobering realities begin to grip his soul as he realizes that for this very purpose has he come. He tells his best friends, hey guys, gonna have a prayer meeting and they're, and and you know what they do? They fall asleep. Right? Have you ever, done, like, fell asleep reading the Bible? Don't judge them. <laughs> right? So these guys fall asleep. Now, just on a practical note, uh, John was the last book of the Bible to be written. My pastor told me that. His name is David Greco. You guys know him, and we're, at, we're here. So anyway, when Jesus prayed, everyone uh, was sleeping except John... The Revelator. Some people call him the Beloved. You can call him whatever you want. John is the author of this book. And I just want to keep in in context when Jesus is praying and he's praying to the Father, right? There's no fear, no doubt, no sin, no shame, no unbelief. All of the variables in our life that we approach God with, holding on to, hindered by. Come on. Hello. Hello. I said we, I'm not preaching at you, I'm just saying all of the, these realities that can weigh us down and can discourage us and, and all of these things, he is praying free of all of those things. Are you, are you with me? He's fully God and fully man. He was manifested in the flesh. He was born of a virgin. Fully God. And fully man. He has no sin in him. Are you following me? He lived a perfect and sinless life. Let's continue. Jesus asked his friends to pray. We said that they fall asleep. Luke's account shows us that Jesus prayed with such intensity, he began to sweat blood. I think that that, to me, is serious. We touched on that God is talking to God. We're going to look now to the scriptures just for a little while, and uh, there's some things that we're going to pull out. But I'm, I'm getting somewhere, and we're not going to be here forever. Don't worry. I know it's late. John 17 says this. These words Jesus spake and lifted up his eyes to heaven and said, Father, the hour is come. Glorify your son that your son may glorify you. As you have given him power over all flesh, that he should give eternal life to as many as you have given him. And this is eternal life that they might know the only true God in Jesus Christ whom you have sent. I have glorified you on earth. I have finished the work which you gave me to do. And now, O Father, glorify me with your own self, with the glory which I had with you before the world was. I have manifested your name unto the men which you gave me out of the world. They are yours, and you gave them to me. And they have kept your word. Now they have known that all things whatsoever you have given me are of you. For I have given unto them the words which you gave me, and they have received them, and have known surely that I came out from you, and they have believed that you did send me. I pray for them, I pray not for the world, but for them which you have given me, for they are yours, and all are mine and yours. And they are mine, and I am glorified in them. And now I am no more in the world, but these are in the world. And I come to you, Holy Father, keep through your own name those whom you have given me, that they may be one as we are one. While I was with them in the world, I kept them in your name that they may give, that, that you may rather, that I may keep those that you gave me, None of them is lost but the son of perdition that the scripture would be fulfilled. And now I come to you, and these things I speak in the world, that they may have my joy fulfilled in them. I'm going to stop there. The one thing we see immediately is Jesus, he doesn't bow his head and close his eyes. He lifts his eyes. Faith looks up. I don't know where we learned to close our eyes and pray. I don't know how we learned this, where it came from. I think my mom taught me to do it. I forgive you. But I, I, do, I, don't, know, I don't know how this, 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 imagine if I was going to give someone a million dollars. Would you close your eyes and receive it by faith? <laughs> oh, no. If someone was going to give you a million dollars, you'd be like this. Right? Faith looks up. And I'll say this way. When you're praying for the sick and, and you're ministering to people, especially if you're in the street, in the hood, or in the nations, you better keep your eyes open. Because you'll get pickpocketed. <laughs> or a demon-possessed person may swing an arm at you or a limb or drool on you or something like that. So you gotta you got to keep your eyes open. But what's fascinating to me about Jesus is that Jesus looks up to heaven because he expects heaven to respond. Right? If I'm talking to you, I'm looking at you. If I don't think you're going you're gonna to respond to me, I'm not going to talk to you. Or I'm not going to look at you. I don't like when people don't look at me when I talk to them. I, I really don't like that. And I'll tell you just a general rule. I'm old school. I'm, you know, 30 years old now. I'm almost an adult. But when you look at someone... And they don't look back at you in the face something isn't right all right that's just new jersey so take that out of the message but jesus acknowledged verse 2 jesus acknowledged that he had been given power and authority to influence or over all flesh now the word the word there power is not power like dunamis it's exousia it's influence so jesus as he's praying to the father he understands that he's a son but not only does he understand that he's the son He understands that he's been given authority over all flesh. Jesus was not crucified because he held healing meetings. He had a great prayer meeting. Jesus was crucified because he had authority to make everyone believe in who he was. That's what the religious people said. They said if we leave this man alone, he has the power to make everyone believe. Jesus wasn't crucified for a best-selling book or a hit record. Jesus was crucified because the powers that be recognized that he had authority and power to totally displace their whole entire system that oppressed people. And he had the power and the authority to do that without a sword, without a knife, and without a gun. Raw kingdom, love, demonstration, power, compassion, all of that had the power to change the way the whole entire world sees god which would put the pharisees and the religious people out of a job and would displace rome and they knew that and that's why they crucified him sometimes we reduce it and we, we make it we 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 lighten it but that's why that they, they crucified him jesus also defines eternal life as knowing god so he doesn't push eternal life into a prayer that we pray, and then something happens when we die. He pulls eternal life into now. And he says that to know God is eternal life. That's why the kingdom of God is at hand, which means it's within reach, which means the time is now. If eternal life wasn't for now, it wouldn't be eternal. But it's for now. So Jesus defines eternal life as knowing God. That is all of our goal. I don't care if you're a plumber, a preacher, a a videographer. It really doesn't matter what you do. It really matters who you know. That's at the end of the day, like everything we do is really about that and then bringing others into contact with that. Right? Imagine, you know the amazing feeling that we get when we're worshiping? You know that feeling? That's a feeling. It's great. I love it. That's why I'm here as well. However, we should want the whole world to feel that. When God begins to speak through someone and when God is speaking to someone, the same effects that happen during worship, those same effects happen on a human heart when God is speaking. Let me let me, let me say it this way. You know when you, you, you know, you're worshiping and you're like, Jesus, whoa, you know, and you're like spaced out on Jesus? Hello? Are you with me? Do you realize that like two and a half hours passed and I really didn't even notice until I looked at my watch and I'm like, oh my God. It's 930. I've been standing here for two and a half hours. Why? Because when, when your affections are set on someone, it grabs your attention. And then time just is like, it's almost like it stands still. It felt like a half an hour. It was like two and a half hours. (laughs) Right? Because when we set our affections on God, then he he grabs our attention. And then all the other things that matter don't really matter. Right? So eternal life is to know God. Uh Uh-oh. Wow. That was bad. Wow. What did I do? I'm sorry. I think I did something stupid. Keep pressing this button. I am not going to sing. If I sing, you're definitely going to leave. <laughs> cool. Thank you. You rescued me. Yay for Richie. Now, let me, be, let me be clear. We see that Jesus is praying, right? He's praying. He's praying. He's pouring out his heart to God. He's asking God, you know, he's praying, he's he's making his requests. But in this prayer, we realize that Jesus knew who he was, he knew what God wanted him to do. But he also came to a time where he knew what God wanted him to do, and he knew that that was complete. Now, if someone said to you, you can know what God has for you, and you can know if you're done or not, would you want to know? Yes? It seems that more of the older people are saying yes. What about the younger people? If the revelation came to you, would you be willing to take the responsibility and then walk in that? Because with revelation comes responsibility. Right? Revelation is not just about a feeling, but when, when God opens up a revelation of his son, that then puts a responsibility on me, of course, by his grace, but then to carry out an assignment, that has to be carried out. Are you with me? So in Jesus' prayer, there's there's um there's three things. I'm clicking, I'm not getting anything here. Boom. Boom. Cool. cool. Yes. If you look at John 17, verse 6, he says this: I have manifested your name. What does that mean? That means that the people that were watching him every day saw the the name of God revealed in Jesus Christ. What does that mean? That means that they saw the character of God and the power of God. Name in Greek means character and it means authority. In other words, when they saw Jesus, they saw what God was like but also what God can do. So they saw the essence of who God is and what God can do. That's why Jesus said, if you've seen me, you've seen the Father. Yes? But what was he talking about? He was talking about eternity. He wasn't saying that the father looks like a Jewish guy from Galilee. <laughs> Jesus does, but the, what is he saying? Have you seen me? You've seen the father, right? The father is before there was any nation, right? So what is he talking about? Daniel 10, if you see the Ancient of Days, you see his eyes are like flames of fire. And you see one like the Son of Man who comes up to the right hand of his throne Talking to him. Yes? Revelation 1, Jesus' eyes are like a flame of fire. So Jesus is saying, in timeless eternity, from before the foundation of the world, I look just like my father. And Jesus manifested that through his life and through how he how he lived, how he spoke, and 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 the and in the essence of who he really was. He and the Father were one. So, he, he, so here's the thing. He manifested the Father to people, which means that if we're going to do that, if we're going to show people what the Father is like, that means they're going to watch our life. The question is, when they watch my life, do they see Jesus? Do they, what? Do, when people look at us, what do they see? That's a question we have to ask ourselves, right? It's not a condemning question. It's just an honest question. It's almost like, Looking in the mirror. Some people look in the mirror. They don't like what they see. They do like what they see. That's, their, that's theirs for the taking, but we all have to look in the mirror at some point. And so we have to ask ourselves, when we live, are people seeing the Father? Are people seeing Jesus? Are, are you guys okay? Can you bear with me like five or eight more, ten more minutes? Okay. I have given them the words which you gave to me. The word for words there is the word rhema, which is the now word of God, which Jesus is saying, through listening to the Father, through having a relationship with the Father, I was then able to speak what he was saying to me. So God requires us and gives us the privilege and the honor to actually listen to his voice and then give people what what we have received. I don't know I don't I mean this is God who spoke the world in, into existence holds everything together by only one of his powers and then is choosing to have a conversation with me entrusting me with his son with his word and he wants us to then share that with other people Like I don't know that to me seems like good news But here's another thing verse 3 the 3 the third thing is that I have kept them in your name what does this mean This means stewardship. Everyone that the Father had given Jesus, right, he kept them except the son of perdition, which is Judas. So stewardship. So to keep this very simple and to translate this into every one of our lives, right, we have to live with character. We have to live consistently in relationship to God by listening to God. When when the Scripture says, be slow to speak. It's not just don't speak stupid stuff so that you have to say you're sorry to people, <laughs> which I've done that many times. But it's saying be, be slow to speak. It's not only with people, but it's also with God. Solomon says the wisest and richest man who ever lived said God is in heaven, you are on earth, let your words be few. Let me share it this way. When you come into an atmosphere that like this atmosphere um, God is speaking God may be speaking through the one of the singers the worship leader uh, someone preaching Ali but I'll tell you for sure that God is always speaking through his Holy Spirit God is always speaking according to his word God knows everything Imagine if you knew everything, how much you'd want to talk. I don't want to go there. I was going to say something, but I'm nicer. I'm married. I'm not going to do it. But let's just say this, that God really has some things to say. And if we come into an atmosphere like this, throw ourselves on the floor, sit down, pull out an iPad, pull out a piece of paper, however you do it, and just listen to God. God may say something in this kind of an atmosphere that'll redirect the whole entire, your whole entire life in a moment of time. God can breathe one word to you and it can redefine your whole entire future. I can tell you that I was in university in China in 2005, and God spoke one phrase to me that defined the next, basically, the next eight or nine years of my life in one phrase. I stuck to that word for eight years, or, or, or since from 2005. Yeah, until 2015. Yep. Ten years. If God speaks a word to you, right, we're always looking for a new revelation. But the question is, are we faithful with what we've been given? We don't need more prophetic words. We need to grab the words and then begin to walk them out by faith. If we lived out three of our prophetic words each, forget it. You, you couldn't fill this place. We, we, we would have to go to the Izod Center just to hang out because of the, the prophetic words that have been spoken over over our lives, right? God has been very gracious. He has spoken to us many of times. He has spoken into this region, into this atmosphere, into this ministry. I mean, he's been speaking and speaking. But now I believe that – here's what I believe. I believe that this ministry – And this region is coming into a place of maturity where God, I believe, is saying action is required. When I say action, I'm not talking about my agenda or anyone's agenda. I'm talking about God's agenda. What does God believe needs to happen in in this region? What is his initiatives? What are his marching orders for our lives as it relates to this ministry? and and this, this region. Here's what I'll say. If one person or if two people begin to step into their destiny in a serious way, what it does is it creates opportunities for other people to see and to understand and to know and to do what God has called them to do. I'll use Richie as an example. Let's say God has really anointed this guy to really, really preach the gospel. I mean, like, really, really seriously, God is going to do something in his life. That means that video people are going to work for him. People are going to be employed. That means graphic artists are going to work for him. Right? Just just think with me for a second. I'm using something practical. Graphic artists are going to work for him, right? That means he's going to go on God TV, right? Yep, people work for God TV. They get paid. Right? People film for God TV, they get paid. People do graphics for them, they get paid. Are you following me? Let's say he's going to write a book. That means there's someone who's going to do the graphics. That means someone's going to edit it. That means people are going to sell it. That means he's going to have a sales rep. That means, so I'm using a small practical example, right? If someone steps into their destiny and really begins to take seriously what God has spoken about their life, it creates opportunities for other people to discover the gifts that God has put in their life and then put those gifts to use. Here's here's another thing. L- let's say you guys have a heart to go 24-7. That means you guys need to commit. That means people need to say, yes, I'm going to offer my talent to the Lord. And I'm going to stand in the house of the Lord six hours a week. Yes, I'll work a job. But I'm going to commit to six hours a week or three sets or eight hours a week so that this thing can Go and, and it can eventually get to that 24-7. What does that require? requires commitment. But they have a dream in their heart that makes room for you. So it's a partnership. Are, are you following me? So what I'm, what I'm getting at is that if individuals step into their purpose and their destiny and, and take seriously what God is saying to them and what God is saying about them and what God wants to say through them, right? It creates opportunities for other people to get on board. Are you guys following me? So whatever God has called you to do, if God has called you to be like an Indian chief missionary to like New Mexico, or if God has called you to be like a firefighter in New York City, it really doesn't matter because there's three things that you have to do to assure yourself that you will fulfill your assignment. And that's those three things. You have to live with character. You have to stay in relationship with God so that you can hear from God, so that you can speak for God. And you have to steward the relationships that God has given you. Ali was vulnerable, but you know what? That takes courage, but that's true. What did we have to do? We have to steward the relationships that God has given us. How can I lead other people if I can't even manage relationships? How can I be entrusted with the lives of people if I can't even manage my feelings or my mouth? How can someone be entrusted with money into their ministry if they can't even do what's right with their money, if they got a habit on the side that they don't want to talk about? Right? So, Faithfulness leads to fruitfulness. There's no way that we can be fruitful if we're not faithful. And everybody wants to be fruitful. Everyone likes the fruit, right? You can sell the fruit. You can give it away. I don't know what you guys want to do with it. Some people like to sell it. Some people give it away. But the point of the matter is that you can have something that nourishes other people, that is for other people, now, just as an observation, what I find to be fascinating, just this is just me as a human, I look at these three things that Jesus did to solidify and to make sure that he fulfilled the task that God the Father had given him, and it's very interesting that each one of these things has to do with people. My point is that we are not islands to ourselves, but we are a body interconnected to one another, and how we treat each other matters. When Jesus showed up to Paul, what did He say to, to, to Saul? He said, "Why are you persecuting me?" So, what we do to the body of Christ, we do to Jesus. So, if I sit here and I tear someone apart and I slander them, that's what I'm. I am. I am doing that to Jesus. It's interesting because we always relate. Because I'm a, I'm like a missions guy, right? So, whatever you do to the poor, you've done to Jesus. We beat the life out of that, and it's true. But it's also whatever we do to the body of Christ, we do to Jesus. It's not one or the other, it's both. And sometimes it's not convenient to talk about that. It's easy, okay, yeah, let's just give some money to the poor. We don't have to see them. We don't have to talk to them. We don't have to handle them. We don't have to stand by them. They smell. We'll just give them money, and that's it, but then mistreat each other. No, no, nope, we can't do that. It's not good. It's really important, and we have to understand this, that everything that God has called us to be and do gets played out and gets worked out in the realm of people. That's what this is about. So if you, if I, if we live with character, if we live in constant relationship with God, and if we steward the relationships that God has given us, we will fulfill our destiny. In in other words, you cannot finish the work that God sent you to do, and I cannot finish the work that God has sent me to do if we don't take these things seriously. You have to realize that God let us hear this conversation for a reason. This is probably one of the most precious conversations that has ever taken place throughout all of, like, history. Do you realize that God knew his son forever and soon he would be separated from him? Think about this. The father has no weakness. He has no needs outside of himself. He's all powerful, almighty, all knowing, right? All these words, huge words, we don't even understand them. He's all of that and more. Yet, with no weakness... All knowing, when Jesus was hanging on a tree naked, the Father removed his face from his Son and turned his face from his Son and would not look at him. And Jesus releases the cry of dereliction My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? This prayer leads up to that. Think about how the Father's ears were open to this prayer. Think of how serious the Father was taking these words. All of these guys were sleeping except John. The same guy that stood by Jesus on the cross. The same guy who wrote the book of Revelation is the guy who heard these words. What's my point? My point is that if you contend, if you love God with all of your strength, if you're willing to press in when other people are not, right? Hello? If you're willing to show up when other people don't show up, I'm not saying this so that we're in competition with each other. That's not the point. The point is that if we want something, we have to go after it 110%. And when God says that he wanted us to love him with all of his strength, with all of our strength, he meant it. And so those guys, his friends, their strength was done. They were sleeping. That's okay. They're human, right? But John was loving God with all of his strength, and he was up at night, and he was listening. This is the kind of stuff that people who are up at night, the people who are up in the morning, the people who make that extra effort because of a desire in their heart, this is the kind of stuff that those people receive. David, he stood in the house of God day and night, right? He also heard Psalm one ten What is that? That is when the Lord, Yahweh, turned to the right hand of his throne and said to his own son, sit at my right hand until I make your enemies your footstool. David, from a tent in Israel, looked into timeless eternity, transcended time and space and even the resurrection of Jesus... And saw the words that the father said to his son as Jesus ascended to the heavens. If the Bible were be in chronological order, it would be Acts 1 verse 9. The very next verse, Psalm 110 verse 1. Jesus only did what he saw the father doing. Only said what he heard the father saying, And that's how it rolls in eternity as well. So you know when Jesus sat down on the throne? When his father said, sit at my right hand until I make your enemies your footstool. What is my point? My point is David was hungry. David was contending. David was positioning his heart to pursue God. And somehow, I don't know where he was, on the backside of a mountain in a tent, it doesn't matter where he was. It matters where his heart was. And God allowed him to see through history, through time, through the death and the resurrection, into the ascension of his son. That's what people who press in and who are hungry receive. Jesus knew who he was. John 17. He knew that he was the son of God. He didn't apologize for who he was. We're going to learn something As we go into the future, and as we stand in the presence of God, and as we get to know God more, we're going to know what it's like to really be confident. Not arrogant. Confident. The scripture says that in the fear of the Lord, there is strong confidence. When people are wounded, confidence looks like arrogance. However... There is a real confidence that is in the Lord, not in human strength, not in human wisdom, not in human ability. And we're going to learn what that's like because for us to be bold on the outside, right, we have to be confident on the inside. And our confidence is not in our strength but in who he is. And that happens the more we get to know him. All right. John 17, 4. Jesus knew what he was called to do. He said, I have finished the work you called me to do. We cannot finish a work if we don't know what that work is. I cannot say, okay, I'm done building. I don't know what I'm done building. If I, don't, I can't be done building if I don't know what to build. God, my point is this. God wants to give us strategic and, and specific, detailed, like, what he wants. I'm going to tell you, I am an idea man. I, like, think all the time. God is not looking for a good idea. God is looking for an open ear. God doesn't need a good idea. God needs a good idea like a hole in the head. He doesn't need a good idea. He needs open ears. He needs willing hearts. He needs hands and feet that are willing to, like, get dirty and go after the things that, that God wants to go after. Jesus said... The hour has come. Glorify your son. Jesus knew his timing. Jesus, this is crazy. Jesus was always God. When he was in the womb, Elizabeth says, the mother of my Lord has come to me. She recognized the lordship of Jesus in the womb. You realize that? Yet, he waited 30 years until heaven was announcing who He was. He didn't come and say, "Hey, I'm Jesus! <laughs> You've been Here I am, Right? Heaven, He waited till heaven announced who He was, but he knew God's timing for his life. Jesus knew he had finished what God called him to do. and this is what I'll get to and then we'll, we'll, we're almost done. Jesus knew what He wanted. One of the most fascinating things to me in this, in this portion of scripture is that Jesus, he prays for th- his friends that, are, that have been with him. And he says, not only do I pray for them, but I pray for those that will hear them. So he's saying that he was praying for those that would hear the gospel and would respond in faith. Which is, guess who? Us. Us. He was praying for us. The only prayer and the only thing he said in this prayer, this is, I can't even understand this. The only thing he said in this prayer is concerning his own will as a person is I will that they be with me where I am. This guy is about to get ripped apart. His bones are going to be exposed, literally. His heart is going to endure rupturing due to the physical stretching of his physical body. He's going to bleed out. Isaiah says that his visage, King James language, was marred beyond any man, which means in English, he was beaten beyond human recognition. Unrecognizable. They took his beard, ripped it out of his face, and hit his face with a stick. His face looked like a blowfish that was just bleeding. His mother could not see that that was her son. Unrecognizable. It says that his visage was marred more than any man. And he stands there in the midst of this, and for the joy set before him, he endured the cross thinking about us. Say, saying this, that, that I wish... And I will, rather, he said, I will that they would be with me where I am. Where is he going? To the right hand of God. He's going to the right hand of God. That's what he's talking about. He's not saying, I wish you'd all hang on a tree with me. He's like, no, that's okay, I'll do that. Yes, some Christians are, are, in reality, they are dying. Because they believe that he's worthy. And great is their reward in heaven. We're sending them money now. They'll be giving us loans later. (laughs) They have a crown of life set before them that they will lay at the feet of Jesus. They will have physical wealth in eternity that represents the sacrifices they've made on earth to give honor to him. So he lets them have a reward. Right? He allows them. We we look at things sometimes as a victim. We go, oh, poor those Christians. Yes, it really does stink. And it really, it, it really is rough. But they have a reward that is forever. And Satan is so deceived, he's giving it to them. All right. This is, uh, we're almost done. Jesus was not a victim of Rome, he saw the cross as a doorway back to the Father. This is stunning because he says in verse 11 and verse 13, I come to you. He was looking at the cross, looking through the cross, and seeing the cross as a doorway back to the father. Now this is another stunning thing. He calls his father, I believe in verse uh, 17, uh, 25, he calls his father, O righteous father. Right before it was going to please the father to bruise him. Imagine if you were going to die, and that was your father's will for you to die. Would you look at him? I I wouldn't. Would you look at him and say, righteous father? He refused a victim mentality, and he refused to have an offended heart. If we want to live and we want to walk in our destiny in the kingdom of God, we have to refuse a victim mentality. There is not one victim in the kingdom of God. We have to utterly reject poor me. I didn't have a lot growing up. I didn't have it. Well, you have a Father in Heaven who has everything. Now it's time to get healed, to get free, and get out there and do something. Period. I'm not making it light, but I'm saying Jesus refused to be a victim. Jesus chose not to feel like a victim. Jesus chose not to be offended. Choices are more powerful than feelings, because when the feeling is gone, it's gone, but the choice lives on after you have the fruit from the choice. And you'll realize, for some of you who are married, a lot of things in life are not about feelings. More of life is about choices, and less about feelings. I love feelings. God loves feelings. He gave us feelings but for us to be ruled by them is foolish they make a great companion a terrible master now what what is what is happening right is that jesus is preparing to die he's preparing to give himself right are you with me after this prayer you guys know what happens after John 17 is John 18. Right? John 18. They come to get him in the garden. Are you with me? And they come to get him. Judas, the betrayer, kisses him, identifies who he is. And they come to get him, a hundred soldiers. These are like the worst marines. These are like hardcore, like killing Machines. These guys, these guys have like metal spikes on their shoes, because all they know is conquering people and walking over their dead bodies. Like these guys are like brutal, just so you know. So this brutal legion of soldiers comes to get Jesus, and they say, "Who is Jesus? Where is Jesus of Nazareth?" Right? He's like, "Yep, I'm He." They all fall down. Boom. What is he saying to them? No man takes my life. I lay it down. Jesus was not a victim. Jesus made a choice to give himself for us. Are you following me? Jesus is asking us, will we give our life back to him? For all of us, that looks like different things. It looks like it'll take us to different places, right? I'm not trying to sell you a ticket to Africa. I don't, I really don't, actually don't care. I just care that you as a person step into the unique plan that God has for your life. My, like I said, my goal was for you at the end of your life to be able to say, hey, I finished the work that he's called me to do. That's it. That's all I want. That's why I'm here. That's what I want for my life. That's what I want for your life. That's what I'm pushing. That's what I'm trying to sell. That's my agenda. That that's in essence what I'm, what I want for myself and for you, that we would be able to say, we finished the work. I have kept the faith. I have ran the race. So that means we've got to know what it is and we need to go after it.